You have more than piping on your mind. Stressed? So. Can I show you something? Something that helps me? Let me see your blackberry. What's the first task today? First task up. Well, I have to capture a guy, tape him up, and then put him in this bag. How long does that take, typically, taping a man? I don't know. I've never done it before. Probably a lot. It's probably hard. You want to put, like... Four minutes? Uh, whatever. Well, I mean, it's not whatever. John, we're making a schedule. I'm just going to put four minutes. The song is stressing me out. I feel like I'm 30 minutes overdue to do Leslie's stupid piping thing. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Macmillan Men. This is the show where we talk about the Amazon Prime series. Patriot. I'm Luke Burbank. Right over there, my friend and fellow Patriot enthusiast, Andrew Walsh. Hello. Hello, Luke. This show is about two things this week, I think. Obsession and urinals. And for me, by the way, those are connected topics. Yeah. But that's just some personal things that I don't really need to share here right at the top of the uh, show. By the way, this season one, episode four, is where we find ourselves. John's to-do list, 518.12. The official title of this episode of Patriot that I just found that out from you, Andrew, before we started recording. Because I thought the 518.12 uh, was just them, I don't know, that's when they made the this episode or something. That's the, actually the title. It is. And also, did you happen to notice the art? You mentioned on an earlier episode of this podcast how impressed you are with the, like... Um, I, what would you call it? The slate at the beginning yeah. of each episode after the credits as you uh, get into the into the show. And this week's it almost looked like kind of a schematic that showed the stairwell and the piping around the stairwell. It was really cool. This was a really good episode. And I, uh, uh, I guess you would say per usual now, I have copious notes. I have some questions, Andrew, that I'm hoping you can answer for Uh-oh. me because there were things that I was confused by. Um. So let's just, I guess, jump right into it. Uh, this episode starts off establishing the kind of, um, I guess you could say, the racism in England, in Essex in the 1980s, and the plight of these two uh, young boys who are growing up, uh, fans of the J. Wick Sands Football Club. Uh, they're boys that uh, are, uh, you know, of, of some sort of th- – their parents are clearly from another country, I guess. I mean, they're called Packy in the show, but that's just an extremely uh, pejorative, racist way to describe anybody who has brown skin in the U.K., right? I don't think that that necessarily indicates they're from Pakistan originally. Yeah, I mean, that's funny because I had the same thing written down. I, I think that's just a, kind of a catch-all even though – I mean, I think clearly these boys are Iranian, right? I, I was is that assuming because of who because, they grow up to be, right? Yeah, and, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe that's an assumption <laughs> on my part because he's clearly working for the Iranian government yes. when we meet him as an adult. He's the bagman. What? He's the bagman. Is that what we're calling him? Because that was another question I had. We know that he and his brother grow up to become, you know, pivotal players in 
uh, this show, Patriot, and he is the guy, one of these little kids who are just, I mean, the, the, the young actors that they cast to play these guys as kids are just so great, and you just... You're, you empathize with them so much, and you love how much they love this football club, which BT-dubs is not a real thing. I looked that up. Now, you curious Jay Wicks, I Jay Wick Sands lore? I did look up to make sure it was a real place. Jay Wick is a real place, apparently a really impoverished yeah. place. And there is yeah. something, and there's a documentary about it that I tried to watch. It looks like that's a 45-minute yeah. documentary, but I couldn't get access to it. It looks like it's like in a very independent film. But now, boy, this show has done a lot for my interest in Jay Wick. England. Well, yeah, because Jaywick is a beach town that's very impoverished. It's presumably where these characters are growing up. They're big fans of this football team, this football club, Jaywick Sands. What I love about this, at least if I'm reading things right, and this again just goes to the kind of how uh, beautifully uh, and, and complex and detailed things are on Patriot. I don't think there's a Jaywick Sands football club. So all these songs about Jaywick Sands, all this Jaywick Sands kind of, you know, team related falderall, that all appears to be made up to me because I couldn't find a Jaywick Sands football club. But anyway, you got these kids. They're growing up in a very racist part of the country where they're getting mistreated. There's this moment where they meet their hero, the football player. They call him Big Man. And he. He says, go home, you packies. And these kids are so excited at having met this guy that they don't even doesn't even register the racism of the whole thing. They're just excited that he tussled one of the kids hair. Yeah, he says that to him. Go back to where you came from, Packy. And they look at each other like they just won the lottery. Like we just got a slur yes. from our hero. I know. It's like it's it's adorable and heartbreaking all at the same time. One of those kids grows up to be, we're going to call him the bag man. He's the guy that got the money from John uh, near the river uh, from on the park bench. And he is, I, I, again, we talked last week on the show about the question of if he was, if the bag man, if he was just kind of uh, unilaterally pulling a double cross or if he had been sent there by someone else to do this double cross, he's getting this money to the cleric. That is his plan. Um, but... It's, I'm still a little unclear on the thing that you're unclear on, Andrew, which is how exactly Tom Tavner got so uh, turned around on who this money was supposed to go to. Yeah, and I'm just going with uh, – I again, I think it's listener Megan who wrote in. I read her email last week that said it seems like there was a double cross somewhere, that, that Tom yeah. did get into the hands that he wanted to. Unfortunately, his intel was wrong. So you got the bag man. He's um, – you know, he John gave him the money and then went back to the States. Uh, and now John is going to end up back in Luxembourg and crossing paths with this guy based on basically, well, the fact that they're staying in the same hotel. I guess he kind of knew that after he gave the guy the money because they they bumped into each other when they were reentering the hotel. Um, but then now when John's back, he's going to be tracking him through a variety of means, which we'll get into. There was one little moment early in the show, Andrew, that jumped out at me upon my second viewing of this episode, which was, did you catch Tom Tavner doing a little bit of that I'm singing my feelings thing? He was singing Freight Train. Yeah, that old it's like an old what like folk song from a long time ago, right? Freight Train, Freight Train. But he, but he's there's a specific line. I don't have, you know, I don't have the uh, lyrics in front of me, but I feel like there's a line that he's singing that feels relevant to this overall thing. He's not just singing random lyrics. The lyrics, you could line them up with the plot of the show. And uh, uh, I don't know if you were able to get to that. Yeah, part you want to take a listen? Not, so, but, so yeah, the can interesting we listen to what thing he's is... singing? Because it, 
this is the very, very first scene um, after the credits. So we get the little opening, you know, the cold open or whatever. Then you go to the credits. You get that cool title screen I was describing before. By the way, the word I was looking for, title screen. Now we see Tom's living room, and he's sitting looking uh, just uh, like he's contemplating something. And now he's going to grab a guitar and start singing this song. Free train, free train, going so fast. Free train, free train, going so fast. I don't know what train I'm on, so I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what train I'm on. I don't know where I'm going. I wondered if that was, uh, if that was indicating that this has always been a way that he's sort of like tried to puzzle things out, or if he got the idea from his son. Oh, that's really thought, interesting. I'll give this a try. I didn't think of the second scenario, but I kind of like that. As if, like, because we know that he and John play together and that they grew up kind of a musical yeah. family. I mean, you know, cool Rick. He wasn't blessed with musical talent in that way. He just in, likes... In terms of making it? Right. But he likes hip-hop beats. And what does he say? And humor... It's not Something humorous great. lyrics. Um, but fun fun love and lyrics. Um, but uh, I, I like the idea of, oh, but Tom hasn't really used it as kind of therapy or to put his thoughts in order. But he sees John doing it, so he wants to maybe see if it works for him. I like that version better. I hope that's true. May, yeah, maybe. I mean, I just thought it was interesting that he's he, he's clearly it seems like he's trying to work through some emotions and feelings uh, in music. Not unlike uh, not unlike John. Um, the other thing, like you already mentioned, Andrew, that was a big kind of big theme of this show is this idea of you are what you can't stop doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was a kind of an interesting that was setting up an interesting thing for for the characters on the show and the idea I, I forget I'm gonna I'm paraphrasing here but it's Tom is talking to um, Alice I think mm-hmm. and he's yes. saying basically like you what, the thing that you can't stay away from is is uh, the thing that you can't stop doing and that's how we're gonna catch people and that's how John might get caught because you're the thing that John can't stop doing and of course that also it, it echoes something that Leslie said Leslie Claret said in the previous episode I think where he says, I'm Leslie Claret, and I can't stop... What does he say? I can't stop I basically doing something... He says, I'm Leslie Claret, and I can't stop doing something that's harmful to me. And I oh, believe that happens right. Like, right before he's lying down on the concrete, maybe being arrested or something. So they've kind of been sort of hinting at this, this idea that we... that char- These characters are kind of... Um, beholden i guess to their demons and that's really more than love more than family more than duty more than anything it's our demons that we're always going to eventually come back to and it also will foreshadow john's obsession later on we he's walking through the cities (laughs) the city streets i should say and i'm looking for it now it's going to be hard to find on the fly i should have grabbed this but i really wanted to play the tape where he's walking Mm. through the city streets and he's kind of recalling silently remembering a conversation he had with his father 
father at some point, clearly over the telephone, before he came back to Luxembourg again. And um, they're trying to puzzle out, like, how can we find the bag man? How would somebody find you, John? Tom just throws it out there as, a, as an example. And John admits yeah. that he's been in an ongoing fight with a, somebody online who could be a 12-year-old kid. I think his name is Rick 12, actually, over... Um, Greg a, 12. Greg 12, over a Willie Nelson song and whether or not the original yeah. Willie Nelson is better than subsequent songs. And John, uh, again, we don't see this conversation. We just sort of hear it over the telephone, him saying, like, yeah, I know I should stop fighting with this kid online, but I just sort of can't. I believe he says something like, I, I know I should stop, and then and then I just don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. Is, the, is a perfect description of how we how we all do a bunch of shit that we know we probably shouldn't do or we should do less of, and then we just don't. We just don't do less of that shit. Yep. yep. It's like a great study of the kind of human condition. Um, yeah, they did some interesting things with this, with just the presentation of a lot of the information on this episode, because also a, an important part of the of the episode is this, as you heard in the opening tape, this function on his phone that Dennis has set up for John that's basically kind of like keeping track of his day. Um, it's this kind of weird world, though, because it's like, I mean, Siri hasn't been invented yet in this universe. So this is some other thing. Uh, presumably, it's more rudimentary. And also, it's talking to him the whole time. But I mean, is it on speakerphone? How is he hearing this? We don't really know. Just like the conversation between him and his dad about Greg 12 and Poncho and Lefty. It's there's a lot of like just I almost I don't know what like audio that's being played, but we're not totally getting explanation of how it's being heard by the people on camera. Although, you know, this one I wasn't as confused about. I just took it for granted that, yeah, it is is the word diegetic. I think I'm messing up that word. But I think that when it comes to his phone and those alerts going off, that's actually going off. Like, you know, Dennis took his phone and he set up this to do list for him. And he specifically said, I'm going to set this reminder song for you. We see the you see the phone. Uh, I'm actually taking a, a screen cap of it right now for our show pick today and he chooses the queen song that we bumped in with you're my best friend because clearly just dennis sure. is obsessed with this idea yeah. of being best friends with john so i don't think that's supposed to be uh questionable about whether that's in john's head i think that like this this robot voice well, I, and the song is ringing out from his phone because dennis set it up that way well that's a terrible way to do spycraft yeah you, you, you're walking yeah. in a city with Theme a of the human show. being in your backpack yeah and you're and a queen song is constantly erupting from your pocket when you're in all manner of top secret and highly illegal activities you know what i mean like it's it's so this this whole show i mean this episode i should say it was i i I enjoyed it because I enjoy this show, but it also wore me down because of the physical toll it's taking on John to friggin carry um this, uh, you know, Brazilian, the Luxembourgian Brazilian guy around Edgar Barros, I think is his name. He's carrying him around in that bag the whole time. And uh, and it's just like, really, does every every meeting have to happen at a hilltop while you have this guy in your backpack? Like it's it's to me, I don't know if metaphor is the right word, but it's sort it's sort of a metaphor or it represents the the idea that. John is carrying this giant weight around with him the whole mm -hmm. show and that even though anyone else would have just fucking taken the pack off at some point and hit it or figured something out, his personality type is to just be like, 
well, this is my bag now. I got to carry it everywhere. And he just is, and it's exhausting to watch. Yeah, and the one time he sets it down, because as oh the God, viewer, you're so kind of like, happy. yeah, you're kind of like, oh, well, can't, can't you just store that somewhere? I mean, just putting aside the humanity of the fact that there's somebody tied up in this tiny bag and how terrible that must be. But just accepting it from John's point of view, you think, well, can't you just find a quiet corner to ditch that bag for a while? The one time he sets it down on the street for like 30 seconds, some kid finds it and starts it looks like he's about to start rummaging through it and john has to kind of uh, scare him away and then and then bribe him to get information out of him because he's a mm-hmm. delivery boy by the way i i said the smile because when he finally not to jump to the end of the episode but when he finally gets the bag taken off smile watch we get a big john tavner smile as his brother and dennis are actually oh, taking yeah. the backpack right. off his back he looks uh, he looks so happy in that moment. And I think it's because finally somebody else in his world is fucking helping him out a little bit. I'm going to say something. Yes, I think you're right about that. And I'm going to say something that might not be true, but maybe it's just me putting my own my own impression on it. But also, especially watching this a second time, seeing Dennis and Edward meet for the first time, even though I mean, they are just terrible together these are two men mm. who should never plot together but just knowing tweedle dumb and tweedle <laughs> right and, but you'd like john is also the kind, kind of guy like listen you're born with the brother you're born with but the fact that somebody like dennis is attracted to john and john somehow can't really shake dennis that pretty early on john just realizes that dennis is going to be a part of his world no matter what like there's something about Dennis and Edward that are just similar and there's something about John who surrounds himself with people like that I think even though again you right. can't really choose your brother and so seeing them meet fills me with a weird joy and I wonder if there's a little bit of that in the smile too that John is happy that these guys know each other maybe I mean definitely the idea that you sort of go with what you know right and so John is used to having Edward around uh, and so I think the Dennis thing on some bizarre level makes sense to him because he's just used to having an incompetent <laughs> in his orbit mm-hmm. and and so and then you're right oh my god this the Edward uh, Dennis relationship <laughs> just as it relates to speculating on cartoon <laughs> oh, safes god. is just brilliant oh brilliant. we gotta There's play a that tape right yeah, you want to do that we yeah, play let me that find I mean, it here. the whole thing is amazing and then there's just this little you know there's this little postscript on it that that i don't want to i don't know who i'm spoiling it for anyone listening to this has seen the show but there's just a little blurb at the end that just kills me okay so i'm gonna play this tape here i'm uh getting to the right spot can you kind of set up what's going on why they have this safe yeah so 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 john not it's not enough that john has this human being in a backpack um which well, remind me to circle back to some Ed, uh, Edgar Barros questions, okay, when, we're, when we've played this audio. It's not enough that he has Edgar uh, in his backpack and he's carrying him around. When he ends up catching up with the bag man, which he's found out about because he has bribed the fish and chips delivery kid, um, when he gets to that hotel room and after this whole situation of being thrown down the stairs, which, side note, how does that not kill Edgar Barros anyway? Um, he then also throws a safe into the backpack because he re- it's, it belongs to the bag man and he thinks maybe this will be of some value. So now you have basically he's got to go out and, and give his piping seminar. And so he's left a Dennis 
and uh, Edgar, Edward rather, to try to figure out how to open this safe. It's one of those smallish hotel room safes, and here they are. Yeah. They're both just staring at the safe, trying to puzzle out how they're going to get it open. We should just drop it out the window, like in cartoons. You know what? I mean... What? I've just been wondering in this moment after you said that... <laughs> Why so many safes fall out of windows and cartoons? Why the fuck are safes falling out of windows so much? Maybe the basis for that is that that's how people would get them open. That could be the basis for that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe people are trying to open them that way. That forms the basis for the cartoons. Which, you know, the best ones, they always reflect real life. That's it. <laughs> yeah, true. The best ones always reflect real life. Like that's such a writer joke. And then, of course, it. then they go to the, the the next scene. They actually are there. Um, Edward is up, like hanging off the whatever that is, the sixth floor or whatever of the hotel room. Yeah, and uh, and Dennis is down below, and and. As they're getting ready to throw the safe down, that's when they decide to get into a conversation about, um, oh, oh, dang, what is the TV the show? show? Mythbusters. Busters. Yes, Mythbusters. They, and so there's just something weird about, like, one of them hasn't heard of Mythbusters. So uh, they're having this conversation about a TV show that one hasn't seen, only they're six floors apart. One is outside, one is hanging out of a window, and that's when they decide to have that conversation. Did it uh, give you agita to see Edward standing on that windowsill? Um, For like a fear of heights perspective, not not really. That one didn't trigger me. There are things in TV shows and movies sometimes that will give me a bit of vertigo just by even thinking about the characters. That didn't bother me so much. What it did make me realize though is that I gotta go to Luxembourg because I had the same a, thought. I mean, what a beautiful city! I've never been to an old European yes. city before. Um, I, I, we could do, you know, maybe we do this show live from Luxembourg. Maybe we, uh, we do our other show TBTL from there. I had the same thought, uh, yesterday watching, rewatching this episode was I would love to visit Luxembourg. I knew about Luxembourg as a kid because it's, it's, it's a, it's an odd place. And I'm sure that's not, uh, not related to the, to why Stephen Conrad chose to set a lot of the show here. Uh, Luxembourg is, you know, it's a very, very small place, which is its own sovereign nation. Mm -hmm. But it's basically like the size of a city. So it has all these odd claims to fame based on the fact that it's basically a city that's also a country. And so when I was a kid in school, there were I can't remember them off the top of my head, but lots of weird things about Luxembourg mm -hmm. and how it is, you know, it's quirky because of its size, but the fact that it's also sovereign, but but also appears to be just beautiful beautiful like the relationship between edward and dennis two beautiful yes. idiots <laughs> two beautiful uh, just idiots. winding each other up with ridiculous ideas i also think it's funny how this is way over analyzing but you know they're talking about the basis of safes being thrown out the window and then when they're on the windowsill this happens to me sometimes like when we're doing the show a word will get in my head and I can't get that word out of my head. And so I think it's Edward is standing on the windowsill and he's asking uh, Dennis, what's the basis for Mythbusters? He's asking him what the basis is. And I'm like, you keep using that word. Oh, is that like, how he says, like, he, what's it about? He says, what's the basis? Yeah, he says, what's the basis of the show? And I was like, and it was funny because they kept saying basis uh, as it related to safes being dropped from windows. Either that's just very clever writing or they shot all these scenes back to back and they were improving, But Whatever it was, it's just delightful, and it kind of works. They get the safe open. 
uh, which is good. But of course, they don't find the bagman's um, passport in there. They find this other, as of right now, kind of mysterious woman's passport in there. Can I uh, mention another thing in my long running campaign to bring Tom Tavner down mm-hmm. as a father? Did you notice the video of him uh, helping John ride a bike? Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know if it's John or Edward. I assume it's John because Alice is watching yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's supposed to be John. And he's like riding his bike, and Tom's running behind him, and he's like, "I got gotcha. you. You're doing great." And then he lets go of the bike, and the kid immediately crashes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, father of the year. Confiscate his world's number one dad barbecuing." Um, uh, apron, please. I was like, even to again. I know I'm reading into these things too much, but I'm like, even in that era, like I don't think that Tom Taverner is a bad guy, and I think he loves his sons. But I don't feel like I feel like to me that is a subtle little a subtle little kind of indication that even though his heart's in the right place, he's not good at their care and welfare. Even you're when definitely it comes to not, them riding a bike. Yeah, no, you're definitely not reading into it because I mean that's there for a purpose. That happens right after he has the conversation. So he has the conversation with Alice, like in a den in his house somewhere, and that um, old video is just kind of playing. It looks like it's just kind of a montage of a bunch of old videos from when the kids were young and they were playing with that high eight camera, which I always told you was a high eight camera and you didn't believe me, but whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of playing while they're having this conversation. And then, you know, Tom says to Alice this whole thing about compulsion and compulsion is what could ruin this whole thing. By the way, compulsion also is, plays into the soccer compulsion as well uh, for for the bag man. And that's they're trying to use yes. his compulsion against him. But yeah. um, but anyway, so that's playing. And then Alice says, I don't think anybody is looking out for John and Tom says I'm looking out for John and she either says I don't think you are or her face says I don't think you are and then he leaves he's like fine I'll go find him right now and I'll look after him he leaves the room the TV is still on she's watching it and that's when he says, I got you John and he doesn't have John and John falls over I mean it's (laughs) it's symbology it's not not buried (laughs) it's pretty right out there yeah exactly actually if I remember right she doesn't say it's just her face and I kind of wanted her to say Mm -hmm. you know um I wanted her to I wanted somebody to say again this has a lot to do with my own <laughs> building resentment towards Tom Tavener but I kind of wanted someone to say to him no you're doing a bad job with this dude what's funny to me too about their relationship and again it's a way in which this show doesn't take the obvious path she calls him dad at one point yeah, yeah and she really clearly has affect she has affection for him now the typical way to I think the typical way to create or or to present these characters is she hates him because he's endangering her son, her husband rather and that she's mad at him and she's like fuck you like you're not going to you're going to get him you're going to get my husband killed like that's the dynamic that you would see normally playing out if this were a regular show and that's not the dynamic it's clear there's a lot of affection between her and him uh, which I, which is it, which just makes it more interesting and complex. Yeah, and I know I say this every time she appears in an episode, but I am again just really impressed with her acting because she doesn't have a huge role, and everybody else has some sort of kind of quirk or, or character trait that is fun or funny or weird that can really let them stand out. And she has to be the straight person on the show; like she doesn't have anything like that. Yet uh, again, I almost was brought to tears watching her almost come to tears 
without any words. The scene begins with her just sitting on the, you know, sitting in a chair in this den area, listening to John's message. And he's just saying, I have something to tell you. It's not going to be easy for you to hear. Um, and then he starts singing it. And we just hear the beginning of a song. That song's going to be important later. Um, but seeing her face without saying a word, watching the emotions um, change on her face as she, she's bracing herself to hear something. She's glad to hear his voice, but she's also clearly bracing herself. You can see her breathing change. I'm, I know I sound like I'm obsessed. I've sent her a million emails. She hasn't written back. Um, yeah. But uh, you can see her breathing change and you can see, I don't know how actors do that. You can see her eyes start to just just come to the edge of welling up but she never actually starts crying i just think she turns in an amazing subtle performance that can be kind of lost because everybody else, all the other characters are so big right that's a good point also i feel like she's the only person i mean i i, I know that the tom is allegedly cares about his son and certainly uh, Edward cares about him, but Edward is feckless, as is Dennis. I kind of feel like the only person who is both competent and looking out for John's interests, really looking out, like really considering John and his safety and well-being, is Alice. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I, again, I, I don't need to go back and relitigate the Tom stuff. I just feel like Tom's so focused on trying to stop the nuclear threat that and maybe he has so much confidence in John's abilities that. I don't think he's considering really considering John's health and welfare as much as he should be. Uh, but Alice is definitely that's her number one thing is, is my husband OK? Is this person I love OK? So I think I you have this very we have this very strong association with her as the viewers, because it's like you want I'm as a viewer want someone to go fucking take care of John a little bit. Yeah. Um, as he's walking up <laughs> cobblestone hills with with uh, airport employees in his pack. Speaking of which, back to the Barros thing. So Barros is waiting for him. He's on the phone. He's like, he's here. So so I guess what? Who tipped him off that John was coming back? I mean, he works at the airport. I guess he could have access to the flight, you know, records or the manifests of who's on what plane. Do we have, did I miss something? How did he know? How does this baggage handler know that John's arriving? I am lost. I what do you? I thought John just assaults. I thought he's just back at work at the airport. John sneaks into the airport and attacks him from behind and wraps him up in tape. What did I? I think I missed something. Did I misunderstand? I, it's very possible I misunderstood something. I thought the scene was Barros is. Can we? Can you find that scene? Yeah, I'm, I think this is, I think I'm here right now. So we see De- Barros uh, is on the phone. He says something into the phone before Dennis or before John tackles him. I thought he was saying something about he's here. Am I did oh, I mishear that or am I combining right. two characters? Okay, here, let me go back here. This isn't going to be probably great audio for the listeners, but we'll at least figure it out. Oh, so, I start now. The scene beforehand is um Dennis and John are on the bus and they're putting together the to-do list. I love how that ends by the yeah. way. They just put the text on the screen of what the <laughs> of what all of these yeah. to-do lists are ending yeah. with Leslie's fucking plate thing. Um <laughs> so we're going to end there. Now I'm going to fade this up and we see kind of an establishing shot of of the airport, um, we see people coming down an escalator. Now we'll see. What's his name? Edgar. Landed. Yeah, he just said to somebody over the phone, landed. Now he's walking back into a dark part of the airport. 
He's clearly back at work. He's wearing a jumpsuit and a hat, and now he's going to get attacked by John. So you're right. He just is looking. He said, I didn't notice that, that he says landed. He's talking to somebody. So is he now working for... I have no answers for you, Luke. You knew more than I did. I'm thinking he's... I think he's told his brothers. My guess would be... Because, again, they are now, and we'll find this out as the show goes on, there's, you know, the Barrows brothers would also like to get back the 10 million yes, euro if they could. Yes, of course. And that's and the so whole thing. And so I think thing, he's telling right. them. Right. Yes. But, but so, but so but I, find, I just know? thought it was interesting. Yeah, like how, I guess that the assumption is if you work at the airport, you can access some things that, that uh, you know, or maybe we find out later on in the show and it's revealed in some way. But I thought that was interesting that he's tracking John as much as John's tracking him. Then the other thing Wait, that actually, I guess I still didn't. Can we just stop on that, uh, though, for a second? Now that this is new to me, I do want to puzzle it out here for a second. Because, OK, we do know that the Barrows brothers do still want their money. But why would they? What do they know about John that they would ever expect him even to come back? That they'd be trying to track how him? How do they using, even know his name? Like, how would they know his name is from their perspective? I just want to walk through this for a second from their perspective they one of them this airport worker discovered a bunch of money at on the job instead of doing the right thing he decides he's just going to steal it he steals it goes back to his place tells his brothers presumably hey i found all this money we're rich now yay great john goes to steal it back they tried gracie warm-up track suits for everyone (laughs) right so then uh the brothers again from their perspective they catch the guy trying to get his money back he stabs some of them and runs away now it's an international mystery who this guy was who stabbed them and took the money why would they have any idea that this guy how would they know his name how would they know that he flies in and out of luxembourg well i guess maybe he went back and he could have the luggage tag yeah i guess the luggage tag you're right his name's on the luggage tag so i figure that they looked at that when they get this big bag of money into their apartment yeah somebody made a note of his name which i assume would be written as john lakeman on there now the question though is how on earth would they expect him to come back to luxembourg yeah um because last they knew he had the money yeah so that's what's that that's that's the part again maybe that gets revealed later i mean was 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 edgar barros just like checking every incoming flight from the states um, or maybe he set up a Google alert. I don't know, but it's weird to me that he would have that he would have been able to basically figure out that John's back in town, and that of course they do assume he still has the money because that's why all of this part is happening because they want to get that money back from him, right? And that's what John is doing by abducting him, putting him in the bag, the smallest brother. He's now going to approach the big brothers and say, hey, listen, I don't have all of that money. I do have some money because, remember, he goes to Luxembourg with, like, he think he tells uh, he tells Dennis that Dennis, Dennis is smuggling it in in his in his uh, pillow, um, but that's the point of that money is to kind of buy them off for less money and to get their brother back eventually, right? It, okay, see that's the other that was one of the questions I had was I didn't really understand the plan of how kidnapping a Barros brother because the Barroses don't have the money. It'd be one thing if they still had the bag. Then you kidnap Edgar Barros and you say, "Look, I got your brother. You have the money. Let's swap." But it's like I got your brother. And, and I have money. this money, yeah. and I'll give you your brother and the money, and if you agree to stop coming after me. But it's like, how good is that agreement? Like, I, it's a weird leverage point because it's like, 
I mean, it's it's all he gets out of it in holding the brother as as ransom, as it were, or as some kind of like a hostage is their agreement to stop trying to get the money from him. Like it's not they don't physically have anything he needs, which is why this whole this plan is weird to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I might have the tape here again. It's kind of explained in another flashback to a phone call with his dad. We don't see it. It's just we see him walking around town with this, you know, bag with a human in it on his back. And he's remembering things. I think this is the part where he explains his plan to his dad. It's also funny because his dad tries to win an argument by calling him defensive. Now, I'm sure the bag man checked out of the King Gerald. He knows you'll be looking for him, but you're going to find him that morning. How? How would someone find you? Okay. This is not the exact scene that I was looking for, but this is the one I was describing before that I absolutely love. So if you don't mind, let's just roll with this. This is the Willie Nelson conversation. How would someone find you? Well, if someone really knew me, I post sometimes on the same forum, I guess. Neo-traditional music forum. I'm in a fight with this guy, Craig 12, about whether Willie Nelson fucked up Poncho and Lefty. Don't pick a fight with Willie. I'm not. Who doesn't love Willie? No one. I do. I'm not in a fight with Willie Nelson. I'm in a fight with Greg 12 because I like the original. Someone could catch me doing that, fighting on that website. Maybe find me that way if they knew me. Well, stop doing that. Yeah, I always plan to. (laughs) Then I don't. I want to get the final word in with Greg 12. Greg 12 is probably 12. You want to jeopardize everything because of a fight with a 12-year-old? Yeah, I see you. Yeah. So <laughs> I just love that so much again going back to that idea of compulsion. I also just love the 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 way they write dialogue on this show. Like it's not yeah. like it's weird that like there's confusion. He's like, "No, no, stop fighting with Willie Nelson. I'm not fighting with Willie Nelson." Like that's just that's just in there because it makes the conversation more interesting. I think that this is one of the few shows that has not totally naturalistic dialogue, but I love it. Yeah, it's a little it's manly very stylized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a good, in the best way, uh, you know, like there's a lot of repetition. People will repeat something. They'll say, like, Dennis does this a lot. In fact, we don't have to replay the safe scene. But there will be moments like the, the, the kind of way that Dennis does a lot of dialogue is he'll say something and then he'll sort of restate it in a certain way. And it's, it's again, it's very stylized, but I really like it. I'm really in for it. Back, though, to quickly to just the question of the, the strategy of putting the kid in the bag. I, I know the scene you're talking about, and I believe all he says is I'm going to put the kid in the bag and then I'm going to get them to stop coming after me for the money. And it's like, again, I just feel like it it's all you've gotten them to do if this works is agree to stop trying to get the money from you until they just decide they're going to come back and try to get more money from you and not like go a to problem the police. The That's the one other thing that they throw in there. He's just like something like I need to take care of this before they go to the police. Right. But again, it's just like all of this is based on the Barrows brothers making an agreement and sticking to it. Uh, you don't have a lot of leverage on them. And if they change their mind, um, but but anyway, he's got this guy on his back. Uh, speaking of Barrows, you know, I guess we don't know because we haven't gotten to the end of the scene. Well, no, we have. He's eventually ends up um, out of the bag, tied up on the floor as they're talking about the safe cracking. So how does he not die from that scene in the stairwell? That seems like that would kill a person, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, the the you know. The physicality of it. Like, listen, there's a lot of things with this show that I just kind of let go. But I am going to actually – can I nitpick about something else that's kind of related to that scene? Yes. 
Let me walk through this here. So the idea is it is the obsession slash compulsion of the bag man to go to a Jaywick Sands game. And yes. luckily enough, the CIA or Tom Tavener figures out that there's only one bar in all of Luxembourg that's going to be televising <laughs> the Jaywick Sands game that weekend. I don't know if I could really yes. figure out in, in Seattle if there's only one bar supposedly playing a game. But, okay, we'll go with that, right? And, again, I don't want to be nitpicky, but there's one thing that I just don't think adds up with this plan. So he's like, so you're going to find that bar on game day and you will be able to find the bag man and maybe you can follow him. That works out to a degree. We see him leaving the bar at the end of the game. A bunch of people are chanting the terrible Jay Wick Sands chant. We see the bag man get into a car and John tries to stop him, but he can't and he can't follow him. But he still needs to know where the bag man is going. So that's when he turns around and realizes that there's some delivery boy from that same restaurant messing around with the bag that he left on the ground that has a human being in it. Mm -hmm. So he runs back to the bag. He's like, kid, get away from there. Get away from there. And then he realizes that the kid is a delivery boy for that restaurant, that single bar that was playing the game. And he says he bribes him with his prisoner's watch. He steals the watch off the guy in the bag and says, hey, um, tell me, did you do any deliveries to any hotels by the airport did you do any deliveries to any hotels last week in the kids this is also a dave sims podcast for those of you just joining (laughs) us exactly um did you deliver any food to any hotels last week and the kids like yeah and he gives them the room and name of a hotel first of all yeah why is there some if the guy's compulsion led him to this bar on game day because it's the only place where he can see his beloved team fine but why would the what he's also only ordering takeout from that bar in advance of the game day like i don't get it where's the connection between if this kid delivered to one hotel all of last week it's the bag man the only thing i can think is and i might be uh imagine i'm with you it's it's very flimsy the uh, for me the flimsiness was the kid remembers the room number yeah, well, like yeah. instantaneously. Yeah. Like the this the whatever hotel room whatever it is, I'm like, "Huh?" Um, but I does the kid say something like best fish and chips in town? Yeah, I think I thought they somebody threw in some little line. Sure. So I guess if you were being very generous, you could say, "Well, is this guy, you know, if this guy grew up in England in in Essex and he loves a certain kind of great fish and chips and this is the this is the they make these they make the fish and chips the Jaywick sure the, okay the, the All Essex right. way sure. I'll the Jaywick way but they, but I'm with you I actually had the same thought I was like this seems a little like this is a little bit um, and also the oh that looks like a beautiful watch and I would take it but it's like the kid wants that watch well like, I guess a straight the, kid there, seeing value in anything and then. And then, you know, I thought he was a hipster. I thought he was normcore. I was like, (laughs) I got to get his look. Yeah, right. Uh, Okay, I'm going to I'm going to go with that. I do think like him remembering the room number. That's something I'll, you know, overlook. Like, okay, everything is a little bit heightened in this. And I don't Mm. I really don't want to be a nitpicker. But just as far as the plan of how do you find this guy? Well, wait, this kid only delivered to one person's hotel room. Like there was just nothing. I just I didn't get that. I'm just going to go with your theory on it, although I do think it's a bit thin. Okay, let me just because we're doing this now, and because we hope this is like that. This is we've reached the point in this series where the people who make Patriot, if they were listening, they've stopped listening, mm-hmm. so they won't get any hard feelings about this. If we're going to nitpick for a minute, here's one that I have for you. Speaking of Greg Twelve and 
uh, what is it, the Neo Music Forum or yeah, something, yeah. or Neo Traditional Music Forum, uh-huh. which is just Hilarious. genius, yeah, as just a, a forum to be in. Uh, okay, so Rob Saperstein has now he's now kayaked his way back into our hearts and back into the back into this this show, and he's he's wandering around trying to find John because as he tells the front desk person at the King Oscar. Uh, that the John was in the forum arguing with Greg Twelve from this hotel. How would he know where he was arguing in the forum from? That part for me was a little bit like I maybe you could pick up that he was in Luxembourg, but how does how does that lead him to that particular hotel? That's a really good point. I um, think that there are people who could probably pinpoint that using IP addresses. I would be surprised that Saperstein is that person. (laughs) You know, unless this is one of the, you know, I don't, I haven't been in just an old school web forum in a long time. I mean, maybe, you know, some forum maybe says like posted from blank, but I just highly, highly doubt that. I mean, even John wouldn't be, even with his obsession over whatever that Willie Nelson song is. um, Poncho and Lefty. Poncho Lefty. I don't think that that really, yeah. Some of these things, again, I think that we might be in a mode now where we kind of just got to like say, okay, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you like music? Let Conrad. Do you like music, Luke? (laughs) You're going to love this. They need to get Rob Saperstein into that hotel because they need him to be wandering around fucking everything up for John with that goddamn CD cover. By the way, did you um, see the little Easter eggs, the Saperstein eggs, though, leading up to before he becomes a real part of this episode? They, we see an establishing shot of Luxembourg and we just see him um, kayaking through the river. Yeah. And then there's another one where later on John's walking down the street and he passes the kayak. We don't know where Saperstein yes. is. It, maybe it's outside the hotel, but we just see it like in a Well, he's talking up, like, about the, He's talking about... He's talking about the music forum when he walks past. Oh, the interesting! I so love it's that. Highly relevant to what's going on. Oh, yeah, that's like very. That's that's a beautiful little subtle <laughs> moment. But so he's now Saperstein is wandering around giving out free CDs which have John's uh, picture on them. As what's his uh, fake last name? It's a weird spelling. Timmins, but it looks like time. Timmins. Yeah, yeah, Timmins and Saperstein. Uh, and of course, one of those CDs falls into the hands of Agathe because she likes music. Oh, Do you like music? She'll love this. I mean, <laughs> so um, and so. Anyway, that's that's of creating a that's creating an, an issue. Um, let's see. Uh, I got I got I got a little I got a little distracted with my Edgar Barros uh, and the Barros brothers obsession. But let's see here. Uh, we're getting towards the. The, the end of this episode, I guess, because I mean, what else? What have I left out? Well, um, here, well, again, I don't want to. I guess I have a question about this, Edward. Actually, I guess it's my question. I think it makes sense. So, um, so Aget on the escalator taps Edward's shoulder, and then oh, we yeah. see them sitting down, and she's kind of interrogating him a little bit because on the night of the assault that she is tr- and, and murder that she's trying to investigate, there was another call that came in, and that was when Edward, trying to create, I think, a ruse for John and to distract yes. the police, said, I'm, I'm an attache, and I was just, they just stole my attache bag. Um, attache, attache, I guess. It's funny that we never even talked about all the attache stuff and how he made his own badge. It's so damn delightful. Um, but apparently she's just been tracking Edward. The map because, of El Dorado. Right. So she, <laughs> that's a city of lore. <laughs> 
excuse me. Um, so she must have just be tracking every, everybody coming and going. Sees the sees sees that this this attaché is coming back into town, at, maybe looking at records or something, and then approaches him in the airport, taps him on the shoulder. She we must cut away and maybe it's assumed that she says, are you Edward? I need to talk to you. Are you Edward Tafner, Congressman Tafner? I need to talk to you. Do you have a minute? And then that must be them sitting down in like the the commons area of the airport. huh? Like that was not arranged in advance, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. I wondered how she located him. And I guess it would it would be. Yeah, because he's flying and traveling under his real name, which, again, this is where and I don't want this whole episode to devolve into us nitpicking because you got to just suspend your disbelief at some point and go this is what's happening in this universe i mean people rochambeau yeah <laughs> for exactly important yeah, yeah. government documents so it's fine i'm fine with it but yeah that was kind of like if you know if 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 tom tavner is as well placed as he is couldn't they get edward tavner some fake documents like isn't that a spy thing he's a u.s congressman who's just traveling around because that feels like that's a big deal like you'd notice that on the you know uh, whatever the Luxembourg sort of CIA version of the CIA is in Luxembourg, we'll be like, oh, we got a U.S. congressman coming to Luxembourg. That's on our radar. Yeah, so she somehow located him, and she knows he's part of this story because of the fact that he had showed up asking about his attache stuff and his maps of so many maps. Oh, man, El Dorado. What else does he say? Uh, he, then, well, he he corrects that one to say Spain. I can't remember what the oh yeah. oh the first one is. It's a um, I think he says can't not Cambodia. I can't recall. Um, but uh, it's it's weird too. Like He's, her power over people. Now again, she's by far the smartest person in the show, and she keeps on talking to the, some of the dumbest people. But like right. she gets him to start talking, not even by asking a follow up. He just says, "Well, I don't know if I can tell you what's in the bag." She says, "You can." So then he just starts right. making stuff up, and then he could stop at any point, but. Right. She just sits there, stares at him until he just keeps on talking. And I think we all have had that feeling before, whether it's in a job interview or as a kid when you're in trouble and your parent is staring you down. Like, you know that the best thing for you to do is shut up, but you just can't let yourself do it. She's pulling an Ira Glass, famously. No, yeah. Right? I remember years ago when when uh, he was leading this little seminar I was in and he said basically people – he will he will create awkward pauses – he will stop. He will ask a question, and then when the person is done, he will just wait. And then, because they are nervous, they will fill in the empty space with with things that they have not planned on talking about. Mm. She's just using that tactic, and it's working. And although I will say this, Edward is not great in this interview. He does better than Dennis does, and he kind of, you know, I think he says at the end, "Well, that's all I can say to you," or whatever. Like he he's, I would say, as far as uh, his skill at 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 surviving an interrogation with her. He's definitely better than Dennis. Yes, exactly. I do think. Well, I was going to ask you that, like, because I said last week that the the brilliance mm. of of Agathe talking to Dennis is it's just the smartest versus the dumbest. And I was going to ask yeah. you today if you think that that still holds up. Is are Dennis and Edward about equally smart, or does no. Edward just have Edward has a little bit of an edge on Dennis, right? Edward Dennis is totally a has an edge because he's grown up in this, and as we'll find out in subsequent episodes, he does, you know. He does go on some sort of capers and he's he's not he's not as good as John and he's easily rattled. But he's got he's got a little bit of this in his DNA. And Dennis has none of this in his DNA. In fact, Dennis seems to actively make things worse. So I would. Yeah. If I had to bet on one, I'd bet on Edward every time. Yeah. Um, Let's see. uh, Did you have any other notes? I'm looking to see mine here. Good. What do you got? Well, here's the thing that I thought was interesting. You know, Leslie's fucking piping thing. Is yeah. looming. Oh right, and yeah. 
he 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 all we've ever seen from John as it relates to piping is just abject failure. Mm-hmm. And then this is the one time where he strolls in and he is suddenly he is handling business. He has got this room in the palm of his hand talking about hunched Hauser heat rails, etc. My question is, where does that come from? And and my th- my 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 one guess would be there is something about those two guys taking that backpack off him right mm. before that just somehow relieves some very kind of real world stress or something. There is something that clicks in his brain and allows him to go in there and just absolutely pwn this presentation when he has. I don't I don't see anything that makes me think that's going to work out that way until he's on stage doing it. What did you make of that scene? I took it to be that we needed a win. We just like this show (laughs) will grind you down. And every now and then you just need a goddamn triumph. And watching Leslie just look so angry at how good John is doing and to hear John finally deliver the (laughs) speech. Like, I know that's a very writer room way of looking at it, but that I totally put into suspension of disbelief. It's just good. It's just a good thing to put into the story this whole time. He, you know, we saw two episodes ago as he's wandering the streets of, I guess, Milwaukee. um, He's, he's trying to memorize a speech that he ends up not needing. Like, as far as we know, he actually would have nailed that speech in the Harbaugh room, except they throw him a curveball at the end and say, oh, we're going a different way. We're going non-filtered. What do you got on that? And he's well, like, they're Hampler free, obviously. Well, they're, of course. Come on. Now, I am not <laughs> Hempler's free. I want that to be very clear. No, you're Hempler full. <laughs> I am Hempler full. And I used to be before I stopped eating meat, man. Those yeah. things, I miss those. Somebody get on it. Somebody make a meat-free Hempler so I can patch Hample myself. Maybe we should talk about this on TVTL, but I did finally buy some of those um, uh, Beyond sausages and cooked them you here at did. home. The other day, yes. yes. Can we put a pin in that? Yeah, and we'll can talk we about that, that on topic TBTL. up on our on our other show, tbtl.net mm-hmm. is where you can find that program. Um, so you think that they basically just they knew that we as viewers just needed, like you said, we needed a win, we needed a yeah. W somewhere in the show. And I can and I can I can fill in enough blanks on that 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 doesn't bother me at all. I enjoyed it in the yeah. way I think I was supposed to enjoy it. And you can just say, well, he's been going over this speech in his head like crazy. And finally, and I like the symbolism, like you say, um, for new listeners, by the way, I know I used the word symbology wrong before. That's been bugging me. I, I used it wrong on purpose. It's an inside joke. Uh, but anyway, the symbolism of, of him being unburdened by his brother and his friend. And like it's the first time he refers to, you know, there's a warmth when he says, this is my friend, Dennis. And Dennis is like, oh, my God, he used the word friend. You know, that was very yes. important to him. Um, and, and he's literally being unburdened as the two men in his life uh, remove that backpack. And then he goes in there and they yell, go get him. And they're like encouraging him. And he he fixes his tie and walks in there like a goddamn rock star takes the stage and owns it. I wouldn't trade that scene for anything. I love it. No, I love it too. I was just wondering if I had missed something that was kind of explaining or telegraphing that this was something that was going to happen. And again, I'm going to choose to chalk it up to the fact that he has just had this moment of great relief, at least in the very temporary, of this backpack. He is literally like not carrying this burden mm-hmm. anymore. This He has been unburdened of this thing and he probably feels light as a feather and probably that bandwidth freeing up that's just constantly i mean his brain is constantly being filled with the stress of all the stuff he needs to do that's been cleared up and now all of a sudden 
uh, he, there's room for all of that Macmillan piping terminology to flourish. That's what I'm going to choose. That's how I'm going to choose to interpret that scene. Yeah, I like that. Did you pause because you heard this loud crow out my window by any chance? Oh, oh I sounds- thought that was your cat. No, that's a crow outside the window. I got all kinds of squawky things around me. What's the symbology of that? <laughs> What's the symbology there? Hey, um, can I just, yeah. uh, before we wrap things up here, just yeah. this is out of order, and I don't have anything great to say other than tip of the cap. I loved the way that the taping up of Edgar Barrows' scene mm-hmm. was shot. Mm-hmm. It appeared to all be one shot mm-hmm. to me, and you have this kind of ticking clock of this elevator mm-hmm. and this freight elevator they're in. It was a really, really well done scene because of the fact that it's just unfolding in real time. And it's kind of like, you know, John Tavner is not super slick at this because, as he's already established, he's never done this before. Um, but I just thought that but scene he's competent was... and confident. And I think it's really done. Yeah. And he does a really good job, too. There's a scene where, like, he, he gets the guy to the ground as fast as possible. He's, like, kind of sitting on him backwards, using his weight against him. He's tying up his uh, legs. And then John does this quick flip around so that he can, like, kind of, like, keep his weight on him, but then turn around so he can tie up his arms. It's really hard to describe. But obviously, you notice it, too, Luke. It's, like, it's very violent. It's just sloppy enough to seem real. You're right. There's not a lot of cuts or edits or close-ups of his face it's just it's very uncomfortable but brilliant yeah it is it just felt and then you're stressing out that like the freight elevator is going to open uh and uh, by the way uh, let's just let's just point this out too uh security at the luxembourg airport lax yeah well that's why it's very lax called the laxenburg airport yes it is and that's a good place to end the show maybe permanently um (laughs) anything else you want to say about this episode no i think that um i think that nailed all of all of my points i mean i did mention um urinals urinals play a big role obviously when people are meeting in um in milwaukee at the mcmillan company that's where a lot of important conversations have we've already seen that in the um previous episodes but in this one too he has a secret conversation out at public urinals which i'd heard about in some european places but they have these public urinals in uh in in the park and that's where he has a secret conversation with with his brother they each choose a a a public urinal next to each other how much would i have to pay you to use one of those public urinals i don't think it's a money thing i mean i think it's a how bad you have to go thing i mean there have been times in my life when i would have killed to have one of those are you kidding me taking alcohol out of the equation it's, oh, it's never 11 in the morning we're totally stone sober and it's light outside because like i don't think i think i'm somewhere in between being uh i'm not extra shy about stuff like that but i'm also not a um uh, exhibitionist or whatever, but I have to admit, and there's, I was, I was studying that public urinal so closely because I was trying to think about the mechanics of it. What are they peeing into? It must be some underground sewer. Also, how far out do the little walls come so that your body is not, you know, so that you are very, you're sort of, you do have privacy. I was, uh, I was what looking at that, and I was just thinking like. I'm kind of amazed that's a thing. I think and you would, would have, I use that. You you have more of a hang up hang up about it I think than I do. Like that's not my ideal, really? but I would I let me put it this way. If you said, "Andrew, we're in this park right now. There's some public urinals right there. They offer a modicum of privacy or uh, just take your shirt off." I would go use a urinal. Well, yes. 
Of course. But here's the problem. When you are done peeing, there's a there's a whole well, first of all, we've I guess we've established there's limited hand washing. Well maybe that's there true. was a sink there that I didn't notice. That's but true. it's like when you're done going to the bathroom, I don't want to get too anatomical, but there is, you know, you gotta kinda handle business down there. You've got to put some things back in in where they go. And all of that feels like a very good chance for one to be kind of with your junk out in public. Like the act of of being standing in the little thing and 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 facing forward, you could be kind of you'd have a certain amount of privacy. But I feel like there's too many other times in the process where you might not have privacy. And then the question becomes, how hard is it to build a just four walls around that? Same thing. You just put up four walls. Is that like what's I wonder if that's. Yeah, I think it's a, a drug thing. I think so. I mean, that's the thing when you're in the heart of a city, although I don't I mean, I can't speak for Luxembourg. But, you know, I think that's the thing that you can offer people a public place to go, but you're not creating a building that will just attract people who will hole up in there and use it for the wrong right. purposes. Yeah. Anyway, it wouldn't bother me as much as it would bother you. Like, again, ideally, I'd go into a restroom, but I, I actually looked at that it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that would be helpful. I was peeing in my yard the other day, and my wife found it to be very coarse. Mm. Because this is also the show where I've admitted to being aware of what cocaine makes you feel like. I figure I can really just let it all out, Andrew. Um, and it was I was swimming in the pool. I had to go really bad. We have there's just like kind of semi-large y- grass area that's near the pool. I went over in the back corner way away from where anyone would ever walk, and I urinated. And as I was walking back to the pool, my wife let it be known to me. And my back was to her, too. She let it be known to me that that was very gross what I did. Was that very gross? um, You know, this is like – I know I'm saying that I would use the urinal. Like if there was no other option, I would definitely use that. Um, But ideally – let me put it this way. If Veeves and I were camping somewhere, which is – that's just kind of funny right there, the fact that I go (laughs) camping. But let's just say we were camping somewhere or maybe we've rented a yurt. Or maybe we're in a hotel, but it's a little bit of a rough hotel. No. Okay. We're outside somewhere (laughs) and um, uh, – I'm like, obviously, if I'm going to go pee, I need to go pee outside somewhere. If I had a choice of doing it, even if my back was to her, if I had the choice of doing it so that she could see my back while I'm doing the act or go around a corner or go around a tree so that I'm out of sight, I would choose to be out of sight. So I would say if you have a big enough yard, if you can go around a corner and say, I'm going to pee over there, but you're not even going to see me. I don't have much of a problem with that, but I do have a bit of a hang up. I mean, again, I would use it in the park if that's the only resort, but I would prefer to be out of sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that okay. answer your question? I mean, I don't know if – not really, but I don't think it was – I don't think my wife thought it was gross that she could see me. I think she thought it was gross that my urine was going into the dirt and the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's And that's what idea. I was wondering. Is that gro- – I wouldn't do that like – but let me point out, I would never do that like in the yard near – like anywhere where somebody would walk. This was a very kind of un, – a very untraveled upon part of the yard. So I don't know. I guess my point is – uh, I would probably not use one of those things in Luxembourg. But if you come over to my house, uh, you can catch me peeing very flagrantly and very publicly all the time. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. Okay. I guess that's probably it for uh, for this week's uh, episode. So um, what did you do? You went out with the Mel Torme last yeah, time. Yeah, let's keep that, doing that. Uh, yeah, unless anything else just like lends it. itself. But I, I really like this. It's just taking me a second to find it here. Ooh, by the way, I think we're getting... Are we getting closer to this sign-off making sense when I'm telling people to keep it double great? Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right. Well, listen, thanks for listening. We'll be back here uh, next week. And until then, keep things double great. 
With every move he makes Another chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow Secret agent man Secret agent man They've given you a number And taken away your name